no matter where you are, what your circumstances are, invest in your dreams. And the only way to invest in your dreams are actually putting boots to the ground. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. You guys, today we'll talk about how to reconnect with our dreams with actor and author Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show today, you guys. I'm delighted to have you. So right now, if you've been listening along, we are in a series called For the Love of Reconnecting, which felt like the exact way to start 2021 in such a year of disconnection in every possible way. What could it look like for us to begin the hard but important work of reconnecting? So today we're talking about something that, you know, honestly, you may just kind of want to say, you know what? No, thank you. Not after this year. Not yet. Because we're kind of talking about reconnecting with our dreams, our visions for our lives. Dare I even say the A word, ambition. And I understand that that can hit you in multiple ways, that it feels like a hard thing to think about. And on the other hand, what better time than now, right? What better time than now as we are beginning to enjoy the promise of emerging and we've had all this time to think, we've had all this time to imagine, to innovate, to dream. Why not now? I think we need to reconnect with our dreams frankly, in order to be the people that not only we want to be, but that we have to be. And so I am absolutely thrilled (laughs) to have just a beautiful human being on the show today. We have Priyanka Chopra Jonas, because she's literally the definition of fulfilled dreams. We're going to talk a little bit about her journey to get to where she is, her level of hard work and confidence is a testament to what happens when your ideas and your work meet to create something wonderful. So of course you already know Priyanka, but let me fill you in on her bio because she is just got such incredible credentials. Priyanka is a multi-award winning actor and producer, one of the most recognized personalities in the world. She's a former Miss World winner, and she has appeared in more than 60, 60 films. You might remember that in 2015, she made history as the first Indian-born actor to lead an American network TV series when she starred in ABC's Quantico. So she'll always have that spot. That will always belong to her. Obviously, in addition to acting and producing, Priyanka has done incredible work with UNICEF for more than a decade. And today, she lives in Los Angeles with her husband, who you've probably also heard of, Nick Jonas, (laughs) and their three dogs. And she has struck out in a whole new frontier yet again because she's just written a beautiful memoir called Unfinished. It's a delight to read. I'll tell you that so honestly. It's a delight to read, and we're going to talk about it today. You're going to really enjoy her. Priyanka really said some wise and sage things today that I am going to think about for the rest of the week. I really appreciated her perspective and she changed my mind on a couple things today in a wonderful way. You're going to love it. You're going to love this conversation. Absolutely pleased to welcome to the show the very wonderful Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Okay. I am absolutely Delighted to welcome you to the show, Priyanka. Thank you so much for being here today. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about talking to you. Before we kind of jump into all your incredible work right now, what has this past year been like for you? I'm curious what this has looked like in your family. How have you been feeling? How have you guys managed it? Did you circle in tight? Did you have a pod? How did you do? Um, I have to say this was a gift for me. I mean, I'm someone who never has my feet in one city and me and my husband both have extremely individual careers. So being six months at home is an insane thought in my reality. I don't think I haven't done that in like 25 years, at least. It gave me a lot of time to, you know, time that I would have probably never had. I finished writing the book because I had that time. And I have to say, it gave me a sense of gratitude and peace. Well, speaking of that, that is a perfect segue because I want to tell you congratulations on Unfinished, on your memoir, and you've done just a beautiful job with it. Absolutely beautiful. I'd like to talk, first of all, about the title for just a second, because you actually named the title of your book years before you wrote it, right? Can you talk about that and tell me what the title Unfinished means to you, how you settled on it? How was that kind of a North Star for you long before the words were actually on a page? Well, I was doing 73 questions for Vogue and, you know, they ask you all of these questions, what if, what if, what if? And so they asked me, you know, what if you wrote a memoir on your life? Like, what would it be called? And it was, I was being cheeky. So I said, unfinished because, you know, there's so much I want to do and there's so much that I left behind. And I sort of felt like a combination of the two. And then when I actually signed on to write a book and it ended up being a memoir, I think my first instinct was that title. And it was just so apt for everything that I was feeling, everything that the book ended up being that it couldn't have been anything else. Obviously, you're a creator, you're a content creator constantly, but how did you find the writing process? I'm a, I'm a writer too, and it's kind and of an like amazing one of that. That's sweet that you're being nice, but I'm telling you, tell me there were not days where you're like, why am I doing this? Why did Absolutely. I start this? Absolutely. Yes. And you can't leave it because you have a publisher, you know? <laughs> yeah. They already worst. paid you for it. Like you have to do it. Now uh, you have to finish it. And oh my gosh, there were so many days. And doing this for the first time, I was terrified. I was like, I'm never going to be able to finish this book. It's too much. And I quit. There were so many days that I felt like doing that. But, you know, you power through it. I have to recommend it. There's merit in, you know, when you see those pages and they're in front of you, there's such a permanence to a book. There's, you know, I have books which are hundreds of years old and there's history in them. And to be able to be a part of that is a very elite club that I'm very excited to sort of step into. It's special. It really is special. There is a moment, especially in a memoir where you've put your life on the page. I mean, you really did. You put it in there and with a lot of vulnerability, which is a little scary. It can be. I mean, you're obviously already in the public eye, but it feels a little different when you're writing it in your own words. I think the biggest difference is I may have been more than half my life I've been in the public eye, but you know, we kind of figure out a way of really not being public. You kind of get away with just telling people just that much that you don't really ever expose your real self. That's what the book does differently. It goes deeper than I've ever been because I've always been ferociously private about real things, about like really who I am, what I was thinking. I've always had like an armor up when it comes to 
you know, being the person I am, the woman I am. And here I just, I don't know why, maybe I was writing it during quarantine. I just went to all of those places and I came out the other side enjoying it. <laughs> Listen, that's a miracle. Like if you come out on the other side and you're like, I might have a second book in me, then that is a success. I'm curious for you because it's so obviously deeply personal. Were there parts of the project that for you were hard to revisit or harder to write through or harder to work through? Were there any moments where you thought, I don't know if I can include this? I mean, yes, of course there are things in everyone's lives that you're just like, this is not for public consumption. Like, this is mine. And of course there are so many of those things, but there are also so many of those things that I was like, I am distant enough from it that it doesn't affect me anymore. I am at a much more confident place that my insecurities of my past don't affect me anymore. And those things I included, which I would have been terrified to include a couple of years ago, maybe. Sure. Well, that's incredible. I wonder if just for a minute, because your life has been so interesting, there's so many fascinating things that you have to pull from and write about. And as you mentioned a minute ago, you have essentially spent your entire life on the go, just place to place, but you spent your growing up years in India. I wonder if you could talk about that portion of your life for just a minute. And did you see this path for you as a little girl? Did you have a clear eye on what you wanted to do, what you loved, what was possible for you? Or does your life surprise you? Oh, every moment. I'm not a planner. I don't like it. You want to tell God a joke? Tell her your plans. <laughs> sure. I'm a believer of that. I mm. And ever since I was a kid, like, you know, I never had a sense of permanence. My parents were in the military. We always moved around. Every two years, we were in a different place. I moved to America when I was a teenager, came back to India. It was just like so much flux that that's my normal. I never really needed required routine or, you know, sort of a material desires. I kind of, I'm good to just pack a bag and, you know, go somewhere new. I've always had a sense of adventure. But I think that my childhood plays a really important part in who I've ended up becoming because my parents raised me very confident. They raised me with a sense of self. I was never told not to have an opinion in a room where people disagreed. In fact, it was encouraged. It was like, oh, wait, wait, what do you, what do you have to say about that? And I'm like six years old and I'm like, well, I don't agree. Tell us why. You know, my parents always leaned into my individuality. They always encouraged me being different. And, you know, every year I wanted to be something else. I wanted to be, it was never entertainment, by the way. That was never a reality. Yeah. I didn't well. even know that was a possibility. <laughs> a thing. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, that doesn't happen to normal people. At least at that time, that's what I thought. And I was kind of thrown into it without expecting. But, you know, I'm a competitive person. And you throw me into the deep end, that's one. Yeah. And you have. You have indeed. What was it like to move to the United States as a teenager? Did you like that? Did you not like that? feels like a real big swing. Well, I kind of chose the swing. And because my parents were the way they were, they kind of let me swing at 12. I came to visit my family, my mom's sister and my cousins, who I was very close to lived here. And I came for summer vacation and I was blown away by a couple of things so I'm a teenager right you're like at 13 just about discovering that you're a girl you know body's changing boys all the things are happening and I went to visit this high school just to check out high schools in America 
and you know, girls were wearing shorts and they were wearing makeup and had their hair did. And my teenage vanity was so excited because back in India, <laughs> totally. we always wore we always wore uniforms. Yeah. You know, everyone looked yeah. the same. You had to like there had to be uniformity. There's a formality. Oh yeah. But high school in America was like Saved by the Bell or Beverly Hills 90210 in my head. Awesome. <laughs> I was like, that's what I want. <laughs> yes. Of course, I didn't tell my parents that at the time. I, yeah. I, at the time, I, I told them that you know I just wanted to try something new, sure, and sure. a new experience. And my mom kind of <laughs> let me have it. <laughs> yeah, with my family for a few years, but it was really funny. My reasoning for wanting to do it. <laughs> Oh, listen, teen girl vanity is reason enough to change countries. I mean, that is so real and what a right time to do it. I want to talk to you a little bit about just kind of how with such tenacity you have created this extraordinary life. Just looking through just your basic bio, your movie credits to your name, how many of them there are, the organizations you've worked with the projects that you've taken on that you've chosen to put your energy toward. It just is really obvious that you are a person who values like hard work. You're a hard worker and there's such a place for that. I always have found hard work very noble. I'm one of those who love to really go all in on things that I care about. So this phrase is trite. I wish I had a better phrase, but when it comes to like our dreams and really kind of chasing them, imagining them possible, but then putting our feet on the ground and getting after them. How much do you think, maybe just based on your experience, is there some sort of combination here of luck and hard work? Like what's the percentage here? How does this play out for you? Well, I think perseverance is a big part of it. You know, I think creating or recognizing opportunity is also a big part of it. Having the tenacity to be able to look through your circumstances, having hunger in your belly for more, constant more. That's not something that just happens for a year or ambition is, you know, the more you hone it, the sharper it becomes. And then you have the ability to look through the crowd and say, all right, that's an opportunity. I could do this with that. And I think that for that, you have to have a sense of, risk you know you have to enjoy taking risks you have to be okay with failing and then saying all right all right I tried that that sucked I'm gonna dust myself off pivot and try something else we live in the time of information right now anything is a possibility the ideas are endless you know we can make a career out of anything and at one time when I was a kid you know, there were like five options from where I was growing up and you become a doctor, you become an engineer, you become a lawyer, accountant, like there were those things. But now it's like endless. And I feel like it's such a great time for all of us as people with ambition and desire, no matter where you are, what your circumstances are, invest in your dreams. And the only way to invest in your dreams are actually putting boots to the ground and, you know, finding what the next thing is, you know, making a PDF, writing it down. You have an idea, find a gap, find someone who'll talk to you about it, put it on paper, make it tangible. There's something really powerful about that. There is. I, you're completely speaking my language right now, but it's so interesting as sort of brazen as America can be. In some ways, this is not a message that women have traditionally received here. You know, we, I would call it 
more rare than not to find a woman who has that outlook, that worldview to scan the horizon and say, I could do that. That could be me. That could be my role. I can do that just as well or better. But Jen, I think that's a universal thing. I don't think it's just an American woman thing. I think females generally, society has for such a long time decided the trajectory of our lives, when we should be doing what, you know, this is a time for them to have a job. This is when you become a mom. This is when you get married. This is when you do this. This is when you do that. This is when you date. This is when you don't date. Who are you to decide that? And that's exactly to me, my feminism, right? It's like my feminism is equal opportunity, the freedom to make the choices that I want to make for my individual life, just the way men have enjoyed for such a long time. They have the freedom to make, you know, decisions for their individual lives. So I think that that's why it's so important for us as women to talk about ambition and to normalize ambition for girls. And we have the ability to juggle it all. No one is saying that there's so many times women hear that, you know, you're not a great mom or you're not a good enough mom if you have a job and if you're working and you have kids. I was raised by working parents and I truly, truly, my heroes are my parents because they gave me such a loving, confident upbringing as a child. Most of my book is a testament to my childhood and how my parents raised me but they're doctors. I mean, they would be gone, but I was included in whatever they did. And the idea is to create safety, you know, not boxes. It's the safety of being able to say, this is what I want to do. This is the kind of family I have. This is the kind of job I have compartmentalized and let each part of it be a part of you. One doesn't have to compete with the other. Like I'm very clear about my family time And I shut the door on work when I come back home. And I shut the door on family when I go to work. I'm very clear about being able to prioritize both because they're both important. Doesn't mean they have to be mutually exclusive. No, it doesn't. That binary idea is quickly falling by the wayside. You know, we've never had, it's just such an exciting time to be an ambitious woman because we are surrounded by role models right now. And then of course, this next generation these are not their trappings. I have a 20-year-old daughter and it would never even occur to her to make these choices that it's either this or that, or that choosing this means you are not choosing it. That's not even in her vernacular. And so that's exciting. It's exciting to see this next generation come behind us, what they're going to do. Totally. Here's a mind-blowing stat for you. Back in 1960, 95% of the clothing that Americans bought was made in the U.S. 95%. Today, 3%. So if you're thinking about putting your dollars toward more sustainable products, you have to check out one of my favorite retailers called American Giant. Okay, so American Giant is really cool, you guys. They're a clothing retailer with a 100% American-based supply chain, which means obviously every single piece of clothing was made right here in the U.S. I have an American Giant hoodie, a zip-up hoodie, and an American Giant long-sleeve t-shirt. And the very second I took them out of the package and put them on, I'm not trying to exaggerate, the quality is next level. Like you put them on and go, oh, what in the world? The hoodie 
It's thick and hefty, super soft inside, fitted. You can already tell this is leveled up. This is a very leveled up sweatshirt. And then their t-shirts have like a real weight to them too. They drape just right. They're just very well constructed. And so for me, there'll be staple pieces in my wardrobe for a long, long, long time. Plus it's really never been more important to shop local. You guys, I am so happy that I can help support these people in our own communities right here. So you can get 15% off your first order when you use promo code for the love at American dash giant.com. So it's 15% off. Use the code for the love at American dash giant.com. There are many paths to finding your family story, whether you trace your family generations back with a family tree or you uncover your ethnicity with ancestry DNA. It's super easy to get started. An Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from. And Ancestry's billions, like with a B, billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. You could find a famous relative, who knows? Or perhaps a photo of your great-grandma as a little girl. Whatever you find, it's sure to change the whole way you look at your family history, which, let's be honest, is the story of you and worth knowing. It's truly amazing what you can learn about yourself and ancestry. I can trace my family's path from the UK to the US, step by step. And it's pretty crazy to see your family story laid out clearly right in front of you. Most of my family members aren't around to tell their stories anymore, and yours aren't either, but ancestries helping to keep them alive. Start exploring your family story today. Head to my URL at ancestry.com slash for the love to get your ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. Free, free, free. Yay. That's ancestry.com slash for the love. All right, back to our show. I would love to see women. I think the hurdle here, I'm curious what you think, because you've kind of grew up in a powerfully confident environment. I think the hurdle for a lot of women behind their ambition is criticism. And to hear a lot of women talk about it, you'd think it would literally take them out physically. But in fact, it will not. What do you mean? Meaning the aversion to criticism, to critique, to having your family members or your community come alongside of you and say, this is going to be really hard on your kids. If you choose this job, you are not choosing your children or whatever the thing is, or here's your glass ceiling. We're more comfortable if you stay just under it, you know, or we like you in this role, but not this one. And this whole idea that there might be opposition to confidence, ambition keeps a lot of women sidelined. And in fact, we can survive that We sure can. I just think let's pivot the perception. Okay, let's pivot the perspective. Whenever there's a revolution, which is what ambition to me is, okay? Ambition is someone set a glass ceiling and I'm going to break that and, you know, push the goalpost. And whenever there's a revolution, there's always going to be resistance. That's just the nature of how it is and how it will be. So I think instead of looking outside at all those voices that are critiquing and are trying to be, you know, boulders to our movement, I think it's important instead of looking at them to look inside and see that this is your journey. And all of those people with all the things that they have to say are not putting food on your table. 
They're not going to come and take care of your kids when they're crying at night. They're not going to come and do any of it. You are responsible for the life that you're going to make for you, your children, your family. And it is your priorities that matter. That's it. It really does. And, you know, you need to sort of, the noise just becomes white noise when you start prioritizing what is really important and not other people's opinions. That's right. And then there is something just very powerful about going ahead and living a beautiful life. And it speaks for itself. And that's it. it's unimpeachable at that point when you have prioritized what it is that you love and care about. And so that's a, a drum I beat as well. I'm curious, you've obviously mentioned your parents, which I love to hear you talk about. I love a daughter of powerful parents who you're close with still that's special. Who are some of your other, like if you had to point to some of your greatest cheerleaders along the way at a pivotal moments, who else looked at you and said, no, keep going. You can do this. This is your deal. You are capable of this. Um, I have to say I've been very blessed by, you know, family that has always surrounded me, my extended family, my cousins, my mom's sisters who I grew up with, and my dad. Family is a large network of my family. is a very big part of who I am, the support system. But outside of that, even professionally, you know, co-actors along the way, you know, people who believed in, especially my team, I have people in my team that have worked with me for 15 years, 10 years, eight years, and it's predominantly a band of women. I have a few guys scattered in there too, but it's predominantly like boss women who have always seen me for, you know, more than I saw myself and surrounding yourself with strong people who can give you an honest opinion and also sort of push you, but at the same time, hold you up is very important, you know, the balance of that. Absolutely. I have to say like, that's been one of my greatest strengths. For all the many hats that you wear and have worn, which runs the gamut, actor and producer and UNICEF ambassador, and of course now wife and daughter and friend, now author, what was one of the moments, either a specific project or maybe even a specific role, if you want to widen out the lens a little bit, where it was an incredible challenge for you. And you thought, I don't know, this is new. This may be as harder than I thought or different than I thought, or I'm having to flex some whole new muscles that I've never used before. And then you got to the other side of it, or you're still in it and thought a hundred percent worth it, worth the risk, worth the learning curve, worth the failures along the way. Well, when I first, about 10 years ago, this has pivoted to America. I started doing music. I was signed as a recording artist with Interscope Records. Jimmy Iovine was, you know, literally a and I in my record himself and was really a mentor of mine. And I was like, but never done it before. You know, I'd never really professionally sang and it was just new waters. And I tried it. I had a couple of singles out, but I kind of fell short of my own creative standards and I just left it unfinished you know I just kind of was like I'm going to pivot to something that I know and I started acting in the U.S. and now looking back if I hadn't done the music and I hadn't sort of left it unfinished and pivoted towards working in America I probably would not have come here you know so I feel like it's a combination of destiny and its plans for you and the larger scheme of things and how you navigate that. I'm so happy that you said that example, because one of the lines that you wrote in the book, which stuck with me and stayed with me is when you said to your exact point you're making, 
It's okay to pick up, walk away, leave things unfinished, and move on to what's next if that's what your journey requires to get to the next destination. I really love that. This is not something we hear a lot. It really isn't. There's this different sort of ethos around never quit, never, ever stop before the finish line. Tenacity is what matters. Persistence is what matters. And sometimes it is. But this is also true. Both of these things can be true. And I'm in a place of like this right this second to walk away from something that is unfinished. And I feel it rub up against my work ethic. And so if you could just parse it out a little bit more, you just have started that conversation here, but I'd like to hear you talk more about what is that internal toggle for you when you know, okay, it's time to walk away from this one. And what's the difference between it's time to double down and see it through? Well, I think it's trying to differentiate if it's your pride talking or if this is actually going to work, you know, it's to be able to have humility to say, is it really good? Would you buy it? Or is it just your pride? Cause you're like, Oh, if I'm not good at it, I have failed. It's just, it's as simple as that to me. You know, when I now having been in performance arts where my job is literally critiqued by everyone who consumes it, you know, I've kind of come to critique it myself well enough. You know, I can see something and be like, would I watch this? Or am I, would it be something I would do? Do I want to invest my time in it? And if it's not good enough, you know, it's okay. Just you dust yourself off, try something else because otherwise you get stuck and being stuck is worse. You've got to have movement and the way to decide, you know, which direction to go into is, is just by figuring out if it's your pride that's getting hurt or if it's, you know, actually what you're focusing on is good. That's hard to admit sometimes and sometimes hard to suss out. I am very skilled at operating out of pride and calling it commitment. Absolutely. Most of us are, but I think no one else can tell you that except yourself. And, you know, that's that conversation you have with your conscience before you go to bed. You know, I think it's very important for all of us to kind of get real with ourselves before you go to sleep at night. It's a solitary time. Just, you know, before sleep comes, you have all those million thoughts. And I really pivot those thoughts with having a real conversation about how I'm feeling to touch base with myself, just like you would with a girlfriend and get real and say, you know, today was awesome. And this is not nice. And this is something I want to change. And it's a great way of waking up the next morning, feeling like you have solutions. You know, it's also interesting too, to the example you used just a minute ago. One thing I've learned as just a creator too, that I have a lot of channels is that nothing is ever wasted, even if it's unfinished, it's never wasted. You just don't know what it is you picked up in that thing, in that project, in that attempt that you will use again. It taught you something. It showed you something. It revealed something perhaps, or in some strange way, it was a stepping stone to the next thing. I've learned to not see those things as wasted. Like, oh, I wasted my time. But yeah, and I think that's such a natural way people think. You're just like, oh, this was five years of my life, like, you know, failed business or failed relationship or failed anything or something, you know, you feel like you want to leave. You're just like, oh, so mad at yourself. But I think, you know, it's like carrying baggage. 
those feelings about something that's done and over with, you got to dust yourself off and be like, bye, thank you, next. Because you can't be carrying so much excess baggage when you're trying to walk forward. It's so true. You know, when people read a book, you don't read backwards. You know, you're always trying to go forward. And that's how we got to treat life. And instead of trying to dissect it and even think about what we learned or what came out of it, forget it. You know, where are you going next? And maybe along the way, five years later, you, you realize the reason that thing happened to you. Or maybe you won't. But that's not for you to figure out. Yeah, I really love that. I do. There is a moment that we just get to choose. It is a choice to eventually at some point say, all right, what do I get from this? What do I get to take with me? What can I let this teach me if I'll listen, if I'll be a learner, if I'll be a student of that thing? What can I, and then bless it and go. Absolutely. Bless it and just go. You've got to say that. Yes, absolutely. It's too heavy otherwise. It's too heavy, especially I'm thinking about, you know, this year's been so heavy for so many people. Loss is ubiquitous. Everybody has lost. Everybody has suffered. This year didn't give hardly any of us what we expected it to. And I had experienced a ton of loss in this year that was unexpected for me too. And I just, I am asking myself this question right now. What can this teach me if I'll listen? And I'm in that little space, but then also turning my eyes to the horizon and going, okay, there's a lot left to learn, see, do, and experience. So onward. And that feels like a weight that just is, it lifts if and when we can kind of turn that corner. But some people never do. It's easy to get stuck there. You can live there. That can be your zip code for the rest of your life. It's seductive, isn't it? Yeah. Sadness. It calls at you and you know, it makes you feel like it's comfortable and it wants you to, it's like a blanket. And a lot of people live in that, but I think it really is recognizing and accepting that grief or a sense of loss that comes from failure or having lost someone is never really going to go away. So let's not try to be like, oh, when am I going to get over it? You're not. It's going to stay with you. I think it's important to make friends with grief. You know, it's sort of like your companion in life. It hangs out with you and there'll be days where it'll stay for dinner, you know, maybe stay the night or there'll be days it'll come just tea and maybe there'll be days you don't hear from them. You know, as soon as you have a certain acceptance of the fact that acceptance is the largest, I think most important thing to feel liberated and free is the acceptance of loss. We're all going to have it in life. That's right. And there is something powerful about knowing that you're not alone in it. Hmm. I love that. I love everything that you just said, that eventually grief can just be a companion that visits occasionally, not your constant, constant co-driver. No, not at all. It doesn't even define you. But as soon as you let it go, you take away the power. You're not letting go of the person you've lost or the feeling of the loss. You're letting go of the power it has over you by accepting that it's here. It's okay. I'm going to think about it. And it is what it is. And it's okay to think about it. And it's okay to cry about it. And then a couple of hours later, you'll be fine. Great stories are powerful, right? That's why I love this podcast. We get to hear people from all walks of life, talking about their obstacles and their wins. And you know another place we get to do that? The Gin Hatmaker Book Club. 
And I want you to join today because if you love this podcast, you're going to love the book club. Here's the deal. Each month, we'll dive into a fantastic book and we read all kinds of stuff, fiction, memoirs, self-help, all of it. Every single book is something I have read and loved. And I just know you will too. After you sign up, Every month, I'll send you a box with the book and other fun treats. Plus, your membership comes with a whole slew of perks. You get resources like reading plans, weekly summaries, discussion questions. Plus, you get tons of exclusive community stuff. You get access to our private Facebook group where you can connect with me and all your fellow members. And there's a monthly Facebook live chat session with me and sometimes some surprise guests. Sometimes I pop into the Zoom meetings of our local chapters, which is always delightful. Plus, we do some cool stuff with the book's author. They curate these awesome Spotify playlists just for us. Plus, I record a podcast with the author or another special guest, and we talk about the book. It is an incredible way to cap it all off. And you know what makes a book club great? The people. This community is the kindest, most supportive group you can possibly imagine. They have definitely been saving my life in 2020. Join us. So sign up today at jenhatmakerbookclub.com. We are here waiting to welcome you into the sisterhood with open arms. So join us at jenhatmakerbookclub.com today. Okay, back to our show. Let me ask this one last thing before we kind of wrap it up here. I am a person who does a short game and a long game. I'm always thinking near and I'm thinking far. When you are looking toward Priyanka 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what are you hoping for her? What do you want her days to look like? What do you want her to feel? Where do you want her to be? What do you do now to nurture her as you look ahead? Well, I'm also someone who's a short-term, long-game kind of person. And I truly believe that today is my investment for my tomorrow. I hope with all the decisions that I'm taking now and will take in the next 10 years, that the girl I am at that time will be happy. I just break it down to if you're not happy doing it, don't do it. Yeah, it's kind of simple. It's really simple. And I'm really trying to keep it very simple for me. I'm done with drama. And I just think that, you know, if you're not happy, just it's okay, you know, but just step away from it for a second. So this series on the show is based around this idea of, of reconnecting with dreams, with each other, with our own hearts and souls and minds, with our bodies, with our neighbors and communities as we kind of barely begin to steer toward the end of the pandemic. So this question probably looks different right now than it would a year from now. But for right now, where we're at, what life is like for all of us, what's one of your favorite ways to connect with people? What is it that brings you a sense of connection in this weirdly disconnected world right now? Well, actually taking the steps to connect with people. Like a lot of people just think about it, you know, do a Zoom party, like make the effort. I really feel like this time, the amount of time I've spent with my family and friends on like, you know, FaceTime or texting just because I was, I've missed it so much. 
it's something that I'm going to take with me even after this is over. Like, I want to be able to stay in touch with people. I want to connect and I want to talk for like, you know, 15 minutes and decompress or whatever, which I didn't do before because I was like, oh, I'll meet them at some point. But I think being in touch is I'm actually really being in touch. That's something really good that's come out of this for me. For me too. That's undoubtedly the highlight of quarantine. If we have to pick a highlight, which is getting off airplanes, getting back into this place that I live with my people. I'm like, oh, there we all are. Here we are. It's possible. I won't leave that behind either. How about for yourself? If you had to just pick a practice or two, what do you do to stay really connected to you, to your core, to your mental health and wellness? I think taking time out for yourself, your silence, whatever you might do in it, you know, time that is not dedicated to your job or your family or to your kids or just like your time, whether that is scrolling on TikTok, watching your TV show, reading a book, taking a bath, whatever that might be. But I think investing in what you need which is just time with yourself, even if it's a little bit every day. That really works for me. Oh, me too. The constant push and pull of other people around me who need me, who want me. And who we may need or want. A hundred percent. It's not all bad, but that's a lot of pressure. Just the pushing and the pulling, if it never ends, if there's never 10 minutes where no one's tugging. Yeah, just stillness. And that doesn't have to be like, like I can't meditate very much because my mind... You know, I, I just never have been able to. That's my meditation is, you know, stepping away into my corner. I'll find like a, a couch where I'll settle in or I'll, I'll step outside, sit in the garden at night, look at the stars, listen to music, but just something where I get time to decompress. Me too. Last question. This is a question I actually ask all my guests every series. And I learned it from a priest that I love. Her name is Barbara Brown Taylor. Anyway, you can answer this however you want. Like we just runs the gamut between like serious or just absurd. So you, you pick, but she asks the question, what is saving your life right now? I think sweats. <laughs> oh God. I have them on right now. Me too. I've never, oh. <laughs> I have never worn so many sweats and I can't tell you the joy of wearing them. Joy. I have all kinds of sweats. Most of my Christmas presents were sweats. Um, it really is saving my life. <laughs> I mean, it really is saving mine as well. I sometimes go into my closet and I look at everything and go, I've missed you. Like, what even are you? I, it's I been so you. long since I've taken you off a hanger. I don't, I don't know. But if you can't duplicate what these sweats are doing for me, then I'm kind of uninterested think, in continuing yeah. our relationship. Me yes. too. I've kind of broken up with all my other clothes. <laughs> Same. I call them button pants. And I'm like, why did I ever love you? <laughs> uh, I'm so happy to meet you. And I'm really proud of you for your work. I love your book. Can you just tell my listeners real quickly where they can find it, where they can find out more about you and just everything? Well, I mean, you can find my book anywhere you find books, I guess, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. I hope that the readers who come across it, you know, get to know me a little bit, but also see the journey of someone who's self-made and comes from very non-assuming backgrounds. And, you know, if I can do it, you can do it. Anyone can do it. And I hope that 
you know, the book is a little bit of a ride and I hope people enjoy it, but this is my way of hoping that people get to know me a little bit more. I love it. And they will, because you really did a lovely job of being genuine and sincere and every word reads that way. So well done you. Well done. Okay. Delighted to meet you. Thanks for being on. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Bye-bye. You too. Okay, guys. Great conversation, right? Just delighted to have her. We will have everything linked to Priyanka's new book, Unfinished, and all of her social sites. And I hope today was interesting for you. I hope you heard something useful, something that you were able to take in and metabolize into your own life, into your own dreams, into your own sense of, is this worth fighting for? Or is this maybe something to lay down and move on to the next thing? That's what I'm still thinking about. Anyway, you guys, more to come on the show, more incredible guests, more incredible conversations. We are so lucky to host the caliber of people that we do on the For the Love podcast. It's just dumb, so dumb. And I'm so, so grateful. And I'm grateful for you. We all are. So Laura, Amy, Abby, the whole production team, and then Amanda and I love you, love serving you, love being here week in and week out. See you next week, guys. Bye.